As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. Mary, the surest way to imitate Christ. A talk by Paul Ellard at the Immaculata Mission School, 2019. Okay, how are we? Good? Great to look out and see all new faces. It's wonderful. It means I can recycle some of my old stories. <laughs> there was this, um, these two um, gangsters, mafia bosses actually, in New York. Ran the whole mafia scene in New York. One of them died. So the brother goes to the local parish priest and he says, oh father, I want you to do the funeral for my brother. And the father says, well, yes, okay. And he says, well, but father, you know, you, you've got to tell everyone that my brother was a saint. He said, your brother, a saint? He said, he's a drug dealer, a mafia boss, con man, murderer. I can't tell people that your brother was a saint. He says, oh, go on, father. Tell everyone my brother was a saint and I'll buy the church a new organ. Father looks at him and realises he's been manipulated here. He says, let me pray about it and I'll tell you tomorrow at the funeral. He says, okay, Father. So just before the mass of the funeral, he says, oh, Father, Father, are you going to tell everyone my brother was a saint? He says, yes, I am. So then they're in the appropriate spot in the mass, you know, and the body's laid out there in the casket. And he says, what, the priest says, what can we say about our brother here? What can we say? Well, we can say he was a mafia boss. He was a drug dealer. He was a con man and a murderer. But compared to his brother, the man was a living saint. <laughs> All right, enough of the nonsense. <clears throat> Who knows, when mother started this order, she had a little motto. Who knows what the motto is? Oh, no, no, I'm asking team members here. Yeah. <laughs> Loving Jesus with the heart of Mary. That's it. Why do you think she took that motto? I tell you why. Because she understands that the way to the heart of Jesus is through Mary. The best way. The fastest way. In fact, there are parts of the heart of Jesus you cannot enter unless you come via Mary. Now you may think, well, that sounds a bit of a wild claim, Paul, but I hope by the end of this talk, you will start to realise that that actually is true. I love Our Lady. She reached out to me many years ago and she, I had my first baptism in the Holy Spirit at a Marian shrine. I didn't know it at the time. Didn't know what name to call it, but I found out later I got baptised in the Holy Spirit. I had a, just a great inner conversion. And from that day to this, I have never lost that love for our mother. And that's probably the, one of the greatest blessings I've ever been given. So I, I speak very passionately about this stuff. My wife walked out of a wheelchair in Lourdes. So this stuff is real to us. It's not just airy-fairy theology. It's... It's life-changing fact for us. God gives his church three great gifts. One is the gift of the Eucharist, the gift of his very own body, of his himself. Two is the gift of Mary, his very own mother. And three is the papacy. This is the gift of guidance and authority. These three are like pillars in the church. If you're associated with certain communities, you can use this as a litmus test. Is this the authentic church here? If any one of these three has been criticised, you back away because there's something not quite right going on. There's a lovely line in scripture from Hebrews says, if today you hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. 
So I ask you today, if you're sitting there and you think, oh, I don't really understand this Marian thing, just soften your heart, invite the Holy Spirit and let him do wonderful things. This is a painting. Um, John was a great Italian saint and he had many dreams or visions, if you like. And this is one that was that's quite famous. John Bosco saw in this vision an ocean, a lot of ships on this ocean, and one ship represented the Catholic Church, was quite a big ship, but there were lots of other ships that were firing cannons at this big ship. And they were attacking it, you can see with their guns, and even their books, right, attacking the church. Anyway, uh, on this ocean, a storm broke out, a great storm. And the waves started to rock, and a lot of these boats just went under. And in fact, the storm got so big, the big boat was in danger of going under, being the church. And St. John Bosco had this vision of a man in white, the Holy Father, coming to the front of this boat to, to, to lead what should be done. And the Holy Father looked into the distance and he saw two pillars. The tallest one had the Eucharist on it and the shorter one had Mary. And he ordered that this boat, representing the church, be anchored between these two pillars. And that's what happened. And all the storm got so bad, all these boats went, this was the only one left. So some thought that perhaps this might have been John Paul II. He certainly anchored the Pope. The Pope certainly anchored the church between those two pillars, Jesus in the Eucharist and Mary. Probably not, because we're not, we haven't got to that stage where everybody else has gone under and come across. But nevertheless, um, keep that in mind as we go through these. We're in interesting times, very interesting times. We'll talk more about that. My guys, he's not looking. There we go. Oh. John Paul II had great Marian devotion. He used to use that line, Latin line, totus to us. Every time you'd see a big gathering of crowds, people in the crowd wave these banners, totus to us, and it means completely yours, Mary, because John Paul consecrated his priesthood at an early age to Mary and never lost that. In the story of Fatima, we haven't got time to go into it, but these three little kids here saw Our Lady in 1917. And one of the key lines from her message was, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. She talked about that World War I and how it would end soon. World War II would come if the world didn't repent. And um, so there was a lot of sort of, it's a pretty heavy message, but there's always hope and the hope was, in the end, and the end is not the end of the world, in the end of this battle that we're going against evil that we're right in the midst right now, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. <clears throat> Pope Francis has a great devotion to Our Lady. It's no coincidence that the last four popes have all been very strong Marian popes. And <clears throat> I don't know if you know the story of Pope Francis, but he was head of the Jesuits in South America. He made a complete stuff up things, complete stuff up, and they fired him. They said, go to Europe, go away from here. So he went to Europe and he went to uh, Osberg in Germany at this, um, and he discovered the devotion of Our Lady Untire of Knots. Uh, it's, you know, Our Lady unties the knots in our lives. So he prayed to Mary to untie the knots in his life. Well, he went from being the fire Jesuit of the superiors to the papacy. I think Mary did a pretty good job of untying the knots. Um, so he has great devotion to this. <clears throat> I just want to play you this one, um, show you this. Um, this is one of the latest Marian apparitions that has been approved by the church. Right? It's actually interesting. It comes from Pope Francis's home territory in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And this lady here, Gladys, on the left, she had visions between those two dates. In fact, it went beyond that date. But um, the local bishop has approved it, and they built this big shrine here to honour the messages of uh, Mary and Jesus. There was also messages. But I just wanted to share you this. 
This is a proven Marian apparition. <laughs> Jesus said this, Previously the world was saved with Noah's ark. Today the ark is my mother. By means of her the souls will be saved because it will bring them towards me. Here's the important line. Whoever rejects my mother rejects me. Okay. Ultimately, every gift that God gives Mary, um, it, it's, you know, we're going to look at this and we're going to study it with the mind, but we, at some point we've got to move from the head to the heart. Why is that? Well, we're talking about mothers. We don't intellectualize mothers. We love them. And if you want to understand Mary, you've got to do that. And the only way that's going to happen is through prayer. Okay? Mary lives to glorify and honor the Trinity and bring all of humanity to glorify the Trinity. We don't worship Mary um, and we don't adore Mary. I've, um, it's funny because some Protestants accuse us of doing that and I've met a lot of Catholics. I've met a lot of wacky Catholics. I really, really wacky. <laughs> I have never met one who adores or worships Mary. So uh, it, it, it doesn't, I don't know, I've never seen it, but perhaps it's out there. But we don't. That's not what we do. It's not what we're about, right? Mary leads us to Jesus. And some people think that if we have devotion to Mary, somehow it's a distraction from God. Well, we want to have a look at that and show why that's not the case. But can I put it to you? If you have a problem with Mary, can I put it to you respectfully that you're really having a problem with Jesus? If you know who Jesus is and what his message is about and what he was on about, you'll understand how Mary has to be front and centre. <coughs> you hear people say, oh, I don't pray to Mary. I go straight to Jesus. Like as though it's some kind of shortcut. I'm sorry, it's not a shortcut. The shortcut to Jesus is through Mary. St. Louis de Montfort said this. Oh, this isn't that a beautiful picture of our lady? I saw that recently and I love it. St. <clears throat> Louis de Montfort said this. Mary is the surest, easiest, shortest, and most perfect means to becoming like her son, Jesus. I think that says it in a nutshell. All right, what does the church teach about Mary? Well, I've picked 10 statements here, not in any order, but 10 statements the church teaches about Mary and deliberately pick ones that maybe you might challenge some people, but hopefully we'll give you the answers to those as we go through. Number one, next to Jesus, who is both human and divine, the greatest human person in creation is a woman. Sorry, guys. But that's it. And that woman is Mary. Number two, Mary exists to help bring about God's plan of salvation for all humanity. Number three, Mary is without sin whatsoever, neither venial nor mortal. Number four, this is church teachings. I'm not making these up, okay? Number four, Mary, once we acknowledge God as creator and Mary as creature, and there's a huge, infinite gap between creator and creature, once we acknowledge that, we cannot honour Mary too much. It's like saying, oh, I don't want to be too healthy. It's just a stupid statement, right? Um, so you can't say, I don't want to have too much devotion to Mary. It's just a stupid statement because the more you have devotion to Mary, the more you're going to end up in the heart of Jesus. Number five, true devotion to Mary can only lead us to Jesus. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm losing my voice. Can only lead us to Jesus, nowhere else. So don't ever worry that because you've got devotion to Mary, um, you're going to be... Uh, somehow missing out on Jesus. Okay, Mary has this unique relationship with God that no other creature has. Mary is daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, and spouse of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. That should just blow a few of the brain cells. 
spouse of the Holy Spirit. Where do we get that idea? Well, St. Francis of Assisi used to often use this term. But what does it mean? Scripture says the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant with the baby Jesus. Like, duh. Think about that. We take so much of our faith for granted. And one of the things... You know, I hope with my time with you in this few next few days, I want to wake some of those things we take for granted, wake them all up and go, wow. Because even myself, I look at this and I think, oh my goodness, I take so much of this for granted. Stop and think about it. It's powerful. And that's why sometimes, you know, Catholics who enter the church look at it with fresh eyes and challenge us who have been cradle Catholics and go, man, this is incredible. And you go, oh, you know. That's why they're good, they help us see with fresh eyes. Number seven. Now this one's going to blow a few of the brain cells. Even at Mary's conception, she had a much higher degree of grace than any angel or any saint that ever lived. Hello? Like, that is huge. I'm not making this up. This is church teaching, right? You can trust it if you're having trouble understanding it. Then that's what we're here for today, is to go in and see why the church teaches these things. <clears throat> Mary already has a glorified, resurrected body, and in fact, she lives now in heaven with both body and soul. So when we die, our souls go to heaven, our bodies will rot in the grave, but on the day of resurrection, we will get a glorified body back. We won't get the old one, the old one's gone. We'll get a new one, a glorified for most of us, we'll say, thank goodness, getting a new one. You know? <laughs> I don't want that old one. It was underweight, overweight, skin, whatever, funny feet, no hair, you know. <clears throat> um, so, two people in heaven with bodies and souls, Jesus and Mary. The church teaches that Mary was uh, taken to heaven, body and soul, before her body decayed. As I said, not a big deal because we're all eventually going to join her. But she was given this gift of having it anticipated because of her high degree of holiness and the dignity of who she is, all being based on the dignity of who Jesus is. So if your image of Jesus is about here, there's no room for anything else, right? You've got to get your image of Jesus way up in the moon, in the clouds, and then you realise how this picture fits together. Number nine, Jesus wants us to pray to, to, to him through Mary. He's not just saying, oh, all right, if you want to have this Marian devotion, that's okay. No, it's not like that. He's sending, he's sending his mother, Marian apparitions, and telling saints, tell people to come to me through my mother. And again, we can say, why? Why is this? You know, Sister Lucy, who was one of the seers at Fatima, Jesus told her, tell the Holy Father to consecrate the whole world to the Immaculate Heart of my mother. Then there'll be peace. She was in a, in a convent in the 1917 and in, in a recluse convent. There were no faxes, there were no phones and no, certainly no internet. How is she going to tell the whole? So see, one day she's kind of feeling the burden and the weight of this. And she says, Jesus, you're God. Why is it necessary that the church has to do this um, before there's world peace? And he said to her, because I want the world to know and love my mother. Who's going to argue with that? <laughs> if you've got a problem with that, you better talk to Jesus about it. All right. <clears throat> Number 10. Now, this is not so much a church teaching, but it's more of an observation. We're living in a special age of Mary. In the last 150 years, we've had more Marian apparitions, uh, approved Marian apparitions, than ever, ever before. What's going on? Is Mary just sort of a bit bored in heaven, wants to come? To... No, no, no. We're in the we're in the car and we're heading for the cliff at full speed with smiles on our faces, right? Not knowing where we're going. Jesus sends his mother to come and to warn us, you are heading for the cliff. You are heading for self-destruction. I come to call you back. And um, 
hopefully we're responding. It's important to note that everything that Mary is, every gift that she's been given, is derived from her unique relationship with Jesus. No other reason. Every gift Mary has is subordinate to and dependent upon Jesus. Mary is mother and servant of the heart of Jesus. She's so united to him as servant, she knows his heart so deeply that she can anticipate what Jesus wants even before he asks. You find two lovers, they just look at each other, you know, my wife and I, we go out somewhere and she gives me that look and I, it's time to leave, it's time to do this or I, I, I did this, you know, something. Just we can communicate through the eyes, right? And through the heart and the same with Mary. What's the fourth commandment? Honour your father and your mother. You'd be surprised how many times I say that in a deadly silence. Not one person in the room can tell me the fourth commandment. But anyway, honour your father and your mother. This is what God has commanded us. Nobody lives the fourth commandment better than Jesus. Thank you very much. He honours his father and his mother. And what are we called to do? We're called to imitate Jesus. So we honour his father and his mother. In the book of Ecclesiasticus, it says, He who honours his mother is like someone amassing a fortune. Well, if that applies to our earthly mother, imagine the spiritual graces we're amassing on those who honour their heavenly mother. St. Maximilian Colby says, Never worry that you love Mary too much. You will never love her more than Jesus does. Father Joseph Kentenich, some of you may know the Schoenstatt movement. He's the founder of Schoenstatt. And he says this, if we look at the natural order, a child learns to love his mother first, then his father. Babies born, they don't just say, oh, he dad, oh, sorry. <laughs> Babies born, straight to mom, right? That's the mother's job to teach the child to love the father. If we see this, in the natural order, you can bet your life there's a supernatural order that corresponds on a different plane. Devotion to Mary goes way back. I went to Amaris Brothers School when I was a kid. We'd say this prayer every day. And it was written in the year 250. What year was it when they gathered the New Testament and declared the New Testament the canon? Someone know? Shout it out. Yeah, okay. A lot after this. So even before the canon of scripture was finalized, devotion to Our Lady was well and truly established in the church. And this is a, a fragment of the oldest known Marian prayer. And here it is in English. Beneath thy compassion we take refuge, O Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions in times of trouble, but rescue us from dangers. Only pure one, only blessed one. It's not new. Been around since right at the beginning. Okay, let's get into it now. Why? Why is it that some people have a problem with Mary? They're reluctant. Is it because they're anti-Catholic? Probably not, maybe, but... In my experience, they're not. I had a good mate who just could not get his head around marrying devotion. It wasn't because he was anti-Catholic. He just he didn't look at it in this in this way. <clears throat> they feel that somehow devotion to Mary detracts from the glory of God. Now, if you only ever heard that argument, you'd say, "Well, that makes a lot of sense." Um, but no, it doesn't. This is a human understanding. This is not the way God thinks. Let's, um, let's try and open it up a little bit. We asked the question to help us open it up. Did God create the world to get more glory? No? 
God didn't create the world to get more glory. God is full in himself. He doesn't need anything. He is complete in himself, right? God didn't create the world to get more glory. God created the world to give glory. Do you realise how foundational this principle is? What's the foundational principle of Christianity? (coughs) Charity, right? Charity and love. God creates because he wants to give, not because he wants to take. Total opposite the way we think in our broken minds, right? And when God gives, he empowers. When God gives, he empowers others. Look at the way parents love their kids, right? They want their kids to go to university. They want them to do much better than what they did. This is, this is true parenthood, true fatherhood. Wants his son to go out there and achieve better. He's not threatened by his son. He loves his son. He wants to give everything to his son. And this is the way God looks at us. We've got to get rid of our petty thinking, human thinking, and think the way that created things. In his mother, Jesus has empowered her the most by giving her every gift he possibly could give her. Makes sense, doesn't it? Who do you love more than your mother? Did you realise that Jesus is the only one who could choose and create his mother? If you could create your mother, would you make her sinless? Well, you would, but it's a nonsense statement because who can create their mother? Jesus can. Jesus could create his own mother. And that's exactly what he did. He made her sinless. Mary is God's masterpiece in all of creation. So that's why she's the model disciple. That's why she's the model of the church. Every musician or artist has one masterpiece that they like to hold up as their exhibit. In God, it's Mary. Okay, so this is um, a painting from the Louvre Museum. You all know the Louvre Museum? You're not supposed to take photos, they tell me, but anyway, I took this photo. I was quite delighted. But um, let me just pick on someone here. I'll pick on Angeline, right? Um, Supposing Angeline painted this painting, right? She's a pretty talented person, certainly talented in music. I don't know about painting, but let's say she did, right? And I walk up to it and I go, Angie, this painting, look at it. Look at the depth and the perspective and the colours, all the detail. This painting is amazing. What's Angie going to say? Oh, thank you very much, Paul. Could you imagine if Angie said to me, no, 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 no. You know? (laughs) Don't compliment me, compliment the painting. Well, the more I compliment that painting, the more I'm complimenting the person who created it. Right? There's nonsense for me to say, oh, no, 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 Angie, I'm not complimenting you. I'm complimenting the painting. She painted it, right? It's the same with God. The more we extol the greatness of Mary, the more we extol the artist who made her. She didn't make herself. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't do this herself. This is a gift from God. If we consider our image of God master-slave, we will never understand Mary. Now this is important because in in Calvin theology, they they base it on the principle that they freed prisoners. Freed prisoners. Calvin said, we're just snow-covered dung. We're rotten underneath, but God puts this snow-covered over the top of the dung. That's not Catholic theology. Catholic theology says, yes, we are fallen. We are very fallen. But with God's grace, we can rise to something great. Only through God's grace. So, if your image is of God is master-slave, 
you're always going to be this snow-covered dung. If your image is a loving father, it's different. Think of the way a judge rules the, the guilty person who comes before him. Compare that to what a father would do to his son that's just done something really bad in the family. There's a huge difference, right? One's mechanical, you're going to jail. The other one is going to seek the best for his son. What's the loving thing to do, right? This is the kind of father we have. Christianity differs from every religion in the world because of one thing. Why, how is Christianity different from, say, Muslim or, or Jewish or Hindus? Anyone want to throw out the line? Yep. We call God Father. We call God Father, yes. That's a part of it, yep. God became man, the incarnation. Do you realize to a Muslim, this is outrageous. God does not become man. It's like saying man became man. It's just ridiculous, right? Yeah, it should make us a, it's a big deal. God became man. So this is a revolution in the way God reveals himself. And how is it based? It's based on the yes of a 14-year-old girl. If Mary had said no, there would be no incarnation. Why did God do that? He could have just said, you know, if he'd asked me, oh, well, how should I come on it? Oh, well, Lord, you have a big mountain, you know, and you have the apostles there. Big cloud comes down. Voice from heaven says, this is my son. Listen to him. And Jesus, you step out of the cloud, full-grown man, and you say, come, follow me, right? Doesn't that fit? Feels right, right? No, that's not the way it happens. He puts everything on the yes of a 14-year-old girl who says, let it be done to me according to your word. And the God of the universe becomes a little cell in the worm of Mary. Oh, I blow the mind. Do you think this woman has got to be, if she's not free of sin, do you think God is going to do this? And then he comes as a little baby. Pooey nappies and all of that, right? This is the God of the universe. Can we just lie down and prostrate ourselves before this child? And we do it every Christmas. But he comes as a child to say, I'm not here to judge you and rule you. I'm here to love you. Love me back. Everyone loves babies. Google, Google, you know. Love me. That's what he's saying every Christmas and every Easter crib, love me. This is incredible. It's a revolution in the way we think about God. I hope your brain is going, wow, wow. And it all happens through Mary. It didn't have to happen that way. But God chose that he did. Don't just dismiss it and say it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. Great saints like St. Louis de Montfort, Maximum Colby, sum it up nice and simple. Jesus came to us through Mary, we returned the same way. Hey, how's that for one line summation of the whole thing? You know, some people have, um, we all have parents that are wanting. Nobody has perfect parents. Some people have fathers that are absent. So we have trouble trying to relate to God the Father. Some people have mothers that are absent. And so we have trouble relating to Mary. So if that's your case, then okay. But you want to know the good news? The good news is that Mary can be the mother you never had. Look at this. She can be the mother you never had. She can meet all your needs, all your love and affection. She can be the example that you would never have. That's the good news. Nobody has a perfect mother. We're all in need of the perfect mother. And God has given us his own mother. Pope Francis says, to grow, to grow in the faith without Mary is like growing up in an orphanage. The Christian has no right to be without a mother. Mary's not an option. 
She's required and she's necessary because that's the way God has commanded it. It's what we like to say. It's a biblical fact and a historical truth. Take Mary out of the picture, you're going to lose Jesus. The two are bound together. Our history of salvation is not founded on the failure of Adam and Eve, but on the success of Jesus and Mary, the new Adam and the new Eve. Mary's flesh and blood would form the flesh and blood of the Messiah. One way to think of it, if we see the body of Christ and we see Jesus as its head, we can think of Mary as the neck through which all the rest of the body receives the graces. Here's a little line. It's kind of cute, but it's actually quite profound. No Mary, no Jesus. No Mary, no Jesus. This is more than a cutesy um, slogan. Back in the early church, 431, the Council of Ephesus were trying to work out who is Jesus. And some people were saying the first movement away from truth was that oh, Jesus is not truly man. He's God. In the man thing, he kind of took a body on, but it's not, he's, he's really God. Right? And some theologians at the time said, well, no, we can't say that. And others, and then later on, the movement came, oh, Jesus is just a man. He wasn't really God. And so the church had to kind of answer this. And great theologians debated backwards and forwards and all this. And you might think, is it really that important? It's huge important. I'll tell you why. The church came out and asked the question, basically asked the question, who was it that Mary gave birth to? Mary gave birth to a human being who is divine. So the church declared Jesus is divine and human, 100% each, not 50% or one. Is that important? Absolutely. If Jesus is not divine, then we are not saved. But did you realize if Jesus is not human, we are not saved? Jesus had to come into humanity to repair it, to pay the debt, right? He could only do that if he was human, yet in a humanistic way, he couldn't do it without the divinity. So the two are absolutely essential. If we miss it on Mary, we're going to miss it on who Jesus is. And this was the first one, and so the council declared that Mary is the mother of God. And that was absolutely important. Otherwise, we're going to miss who Jesus was. So once again, right from the very early church, we see Mary showing who Jesus is. Where is Mary in the Bible? First in the Bible. A lot of people say, oh, well, I guess Book of Matthew. Huh? Well, she's in the Book of Matthew, but she first appears in the Bible in the Book of Genesis. In the very beginning, you say, well, hang on, she wasn't even born then. How could that be? Well, we need to understand something about the way we interpret the Bible. Okay, so um, when the authors wrote the Bible, they're writing a message. We call that the literal. Now, not to be confused when we say, oh, some Pentecostals take the Bible literally. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about literal as in what is actually what they meant, what they wrote. Okay? So, but then the church teaches, underneath that, there are the spiritual dimensions of Scripture. And these are where all the, the juicy bits are, all the exciting bits. Right? And so, St. Augustine came up with this wonderful little catchphrase, which if you study any theology or any biblical studies, you'll see this come up a lot. And he said this, The New Testament lies hidden in the Old. And the Old Testament is unveiled in the New. So when Jesus came along and we hear all about the Messiah and all of this, 
and then we, we see that he died on a cross and we start looking back in the Old Testament and we see all these passages that start, hey, that's Jesus, hey, that's Jesus. And we see this all the way through. And we, um, we get to see uh, what they call typology. You know, Moses is a type of Jesus. If you parallel their lives down, it's amazing how similar they are. We don't have time to go into that today. But anyway, so this is why we can look at the book of Genesis and say that there is these spiritual layers which talk about Jesus and Mary, even though neither of them were on earth at the time. So our first text is Genesis 3.15. This text is so important, the church fathers call this the Proto-Evangelium. The Latin is just the first statement of the gospel. I heard one priest call it the genetic code of the whole of the Bible. I love that because it, it truly is. Right? So what's, you know the story, Adam and Eve have just sinned and God comes to them and God speaks. And he's, in this section here, he's talking to the serpent. Who's the serpent? The devil, Satan, right? He's talking to Satan. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity, what's enmity? A war. I will put a war between you, Satan, and the woman. Who's the woman? Well, in some sense it's Eve, but we're talking about the spiritual layers. There's more to this. But we keep reading. And between your offspring, the devil has offspring. That's a bit scary. We'll come back to that. And hers. Ah, oh, so the woman has offspring. Okay, yeah. He will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. Ah, now we begin to get put the pieces together. The, the, the child born of the woman is going to strike Satan in the head. And Satan will strike at his heel. Right? So what happens? If you get hit in the heel, you go down, but three days later, you rise again. Right? If you get hit in the head, you're in the morgue. Right? <laughs> Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent with his mother. Okay? So, if you think... For one moment, here's this great prediction. Do you think that Mary can be under the control of the, of the serpent, of Satan? No, she can't. And so this text is used a lot to explain uh, Marian devotions and Marian dogmas. Okay. Interesting, we say... Um, he will strike at your head. Now, if we go back to some of the very early translations of the Bible, we find it's written, she will strike at your head, or she will crush the head. So is it he or is it she? This has been a big debate in the church by many biblical scholars. And they say, well, it actually, it's gender neutral. It could be, could be it. You know, you could use the word it. It doesn't really tell us, right? But it's interesting that Jerome, when he did his commentary, he put she, and he had in front of him original copies of the Old Testament. We don't have any new cop any original copies of the Old Testament today. None. Not in their complete form. So, um, but then of course, I don't know whether I've got it on the slide. Ah, oh, I do. I think it is. Then of course, in 1830, Our Lady appeared uh, St. Catherine Labore in Paris and she asked for this medal to be struck and so many miracles happened out of this medal that it's come commonly known as the miraculous medal if you haven't got one I encourage you to get one ask Father to bless it anyway on that photo on that image that she and asked the medal to be shown she is standing on the serpent crushing the serpent's head. And often we don't have a statue. Yes. yes, if you have a look at this statue later, she's actually in that statue standing on the head of the serpent. She will crush. It's a bit, it's kind of a, 
silly debate anyway, because everything that Mary does comes through Jesus. It's really both of them are going to crush. But interesting, it's like showing that Mary is going to be at the forefront of this battle. This is so important. Look at every crisis in the church, every crisis in the world today. You know what one big theme behind it is? It's attack on the dignity of women. Why is Satan so obsessed with the attack on the dignity of women? You look at it, abortion, marriage breakdown, um, pornography, all these things attack against the dignity of women. Why? Because he knows, Satan knows that this woman is going to crush his head. That's huge. You speak to people who do um, exorcisms and they'll tell you that when they pray and pray for Mary's intercession, the demons hate it. The demons screech out. I've witnessed these things. I'm telling you, it just calls your arms when you see it. And the other thing was, is when the priesthood authority, that also, the demons hate that. I knew a guy, as soon as he put on his stole, um, I won't go, not a pretty sight. But anyway, it's, it's real stuff, right? It's real stuff. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go now. We talked about the offspring of Satan, right? No, they're not little people running around with horns out of their head. Let's see who they are. Well, to find out what this all means, we're now going to go to the last book of the Bible and we're going to look at Revelations. And the serpent now has become so strong, he's a dragon. And I think you can say we're... That puts us right where we are today, right? Things are bad. Things are really bad. But never give up hope. As we know the victor. If you could put your money on a horse and know who's going to win, you'd, you'd be stupid if you didn't do it, right? I'm telling you, Jesus and Mary are going to win. It doesn't matter what president, what government, what communism, what anything says. In the end, the Immaculate Heart of Mary is going to triumph. Never lose sight, never give up hope. It's going to be bad and it's going to get a lot worse. I tell you, it's going to get a lot worse. But in the end, we're not talking about the end of the world, we're talking about that prayer that Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago when he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That prayer has to be answered on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wasn't talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the reign on God's kingdom on this earth. So don't ever give up. When's the time period? Well, we don't know. But just don't give up because you don't want to be in the loser's circle because you were too stupid when you knew the winner, right? You know the winner. Okay. So the dragon became angry with the woman and went off to rage war against the rest of her offspring. Ah, did Jesus have brothers and sisters? No, that's not what it means. Well, what does it mean? It's not rocket science. The next line tells us. The rest of her offspring are those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. So according to Scripture, those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus are children of Mary. Hands up all those who want to be children of Mary. Okay. And so that tells us who are children of Satan, offspring of Satan. They're the ones who do not keep God's commandments and do not do witness to Jesus. So all you guys who didn't put your hand up, you're children of the devil. Huh? No, just <laughs> That's all right, because my sister over there, she was, didn't put her hand up, so that's all right. <laughs> It's all right, I'm just, just saying. She's the holiest person in the room, so I can make fun of her. All right, let's push on. Okay, we're now going to look at Luke. Now, this is a line, a scripture you know so well, right? It's the Annunciation. And he, this is the angel Gabriel, came to her, Mary, and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. 
and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And as Tim Staples says, At that moment all of heaven rejoiced. He puts it beautifully, he says, All of heaven held their breath, waiting for the response of this 14-year-old girl, asking, been waiting through the ages for the Messiah to actually enter the world and to bring about his kingdom. And when she said, she didn't just say, oh, okay. Or, oh, oh, no, not me, maybe the girl next door, you know. No, she says, not okay, but yes, let it be done to me according to your word. Whole of heaven just rejoiced. God's plan is now actuated. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And the whole of the universe will never be the same again. Wow. No, he didn't come on a cloud out of a mountain. Came through a 14-year-old girl. All right, let's have a look at this. The angel Gabriel comes and says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Does that sound familiar? Hmm? Somebody think that sounds familiar? Ah, okay, what's different? Yes. Ah, missing the name Mary. Maybe Gabriel forgot her name. No, no, he didn't forget her name. Right? I am not a Greek biblical scholar, but if you talk to these um, scholars, they will open it up and they tell us. The best translation, in English this is, gets so lost, the best translation is the angel Gabriel comes to her and addresses her as her title, as her function, right? I sell audio video gear, right? Can you imagine if someone came up to me and said, hello, audio video person? Yeah, my name, call me my name, right? Names are important. The angel Gabriel came up and didn't just say, Hail Mary. He said, Hail, you who have been and still are full of grace. That's one heck of a title. That's one heck of a statement. And what happens to Mary? Scripture says, she was greatly troubled. I hear it all the time. People say, oh, Mary was afraid because she saw an angel. Scripture doesn't say she was afraid because she saw an angel. The mystics tell us that Mary saw angels lots of times. In fact, when she was a little girl, she thought everybody saw angels. This is a, comes from a, a mystic sort, but we won't go there. Anyway, so what is it? Well, again, it's not rocket science. It tells us. She was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting. Mary was worried that this super exalted greeting was in fact maybe a demonic spirit trying to puff up her pride. You know? Hail you who have been and still are full of grace. You know? Oh, well, that's me. I couldn't have said it better. You know? No, Mary's very humble, right? She, that's what she does. So, um, yeah. And then... The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. <sighs> Mary becomes pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, you're going to hear talks on theology of the body, right? Maddie and Simon are coming later in the week and they do a great job, right? Marriage, sanctity of marriage, conception of children. This is holy, holy ground, man. Holy ground. Gentlemen, remember this. You know, the night of your wedding night, you, you, you enter the temple in humility. You're on holy ground. You light a candle. 
Yeah, we don't want to get into theology of the body, but it's, it's holy ground. If that's the case for you and I when we're conceived, how much more is it when God himself becomes human? <sighs> holy ground. Mary can't be tarnished with sin. Mary, it's, it's just, think about it, meditate on it. You'll, you'll, you'll love it. All right. How are we going for time, sister? We've got five minutes. Okay. I wanted to... Um, I, I wanted... If I, I, I go by the way the Spirit leads me. Spirit led me to stretch this out today. So you must have wanted it. So, but I wanted to just share with you, we talked about married apparitions. There are so many apparitions. Why? Because Mary is bringing us a message. We are heading for the cliff. Wake up. She's not here to um, punish us. She's here to help us wake up from our own suicidal behavior. So what is her remedy? Pray. You must pray. You must pray. Think of your family. Think of your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever. In my case, my wife. Could you imagine if I just came home to my wife and every day we just only spoke for five minutes? We would have no relationship. If you think you can have a relationship with Jesus and talk to him for five minutes, you're kidding yourself. You don't know who Jesus is. You must pray. What is the prayer that we should say? Well, what has it been the message of Marian apparitions for the last 150 years? Pray the Holy Rosary. Oh, man, I can't tell you how powerful this is. I could do another hour just on how powerful this is. I want to tell you one, one story. In America in 1978, there was a, a killer called Ted Bundy. And he broke into a university and he raped and killed two girls and seriously injured another two. He went into the room of this another girl. He had his weapon in hand. This girl just woke up and was absolutely terrified. But the guy just dropped his weapon and ran out of the room. She was just, couldn't beside herself. She was all upset. She asked to speak to a priest. The priest came. And she, and he, she said, you know, before I came to uni, my mum said, promise me you will pray the rosary every day. And she said, even if you, you know, pray the rosary, no matter what. She said, yeah, mum, yeah, yeah, okay. So that night, she's praying the rosary, sort of lying in bed, semi-sitting up, and she fell asleep. So when Ted Bundy entered the room, she still had the beads in her hand, and she didn't finish the prayer um, that her mother asked her to do. So the priest was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. As coincidence, no coincidence, a God coincidence, as a God coincidence would have it, Ted Bundy was sent to the electric chair and he asked to speak to a priest. And guess what? It was the same priest. So he said to him, I'm curious, why did you enter that room of that last girl and not kill her like you've done the others? And he said, I don't know. He said, I went in there and I said, he said, just this something really strong force was in front of me and I was terrified so much so that I dropped the weapon and ran out of the room. That is the power of the Holy Rosary. That is the power of the Holy Rosary. The prayer my wife and I were saying when she literally stepped out of the wheelchair was the Holy Rosary. Look up the Battle of Lepanto and see what happened when the church was outnumbered by the Turks. What the Pope did. He called all Catholics to pray the rosary. They won this battle. And you know what? They were using Christian slaves to row these boats. And the Christians had big sort of like spikes, giant swords to pierce the boats of the enemy so they would sink. The Pope said, no. They've got Christian slaves in there. We don't want to kill them. Take that weapon off the ships. 
They were outnumbered. They took off that weapon off the ships and they went out to battle. And he just said, pray the rosary. At 4pm in the afternoon, the Holy Father declared the battle had been won. There was no mobile phone. There was no nothing, right? How did he know? He just said, I know the battle has been won. The ships came back um, that next day, I think it would have been, taken that long, and they won the battle. And they said it was at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. The power of the rosary cannot be underestimated. Sister Lucia, she was the little one in Fatima, and she got the message to pray the rosary, right? And remember, this nun spoke to Jesus and Mary pretty much through her whole life, right up until she died in the 90s. And this is what she said. The, holy, the most holy virgin in these last times in which we live has given a new efficacy to the recitation of the rosary to such an extent that there is no problem, no matter how difficult it is, whether temporary or above all spiritual, in the personal life of each of us, our families, or the families of the world, of religious communities, and even the life of peoples and nations that cannot be solved by the power of the rosary. There is no problem, I tell you, no matter how difficult it is, that we cannot resolve by the power of the rosary. With the Holy Rosary, we will save ourselves, we will sanctify ourselves, and we will console our Lord and obtain the salvation of many souls. Have you got it? Are you convinced? If you don't, just do more research on i got a list here, 15 points of what saints throughout the ages have raved about the power of the rosary. I don't have time to share it with you. I just quickly want to end on this. People say, oh, I can't say the rosary, it's so repetitious. And you think, oh my goodness. Understand how the rosary works, right? If you had to read the prayer off a prayer card, and we do the very first time we learn, so if you're learning it for the first time, fine. But pretty soon, you're going to have to learn it off by heart. Why? Because the idea, and why do we use beads? Oh, I'm going to make a nice little necklace. No, this is a tool for praying, right? There's a reason, and the reason is, as we pray the rosary, we want to meditate on the mysteries of the rosary. Now, how can you do that if you're trying to read the words? So the first thing is the prayer has to be repetitious by nature to allow you to drift off and think about the mysteries. And the genius, whoever thought of this must have been divine. Oh, he was. Uh, <laughs> the genius of the prayer beads, as you finger through, you get lost in the prayer. But as soon as your finger gets to the end, you go, oh, time to change on a different. So you get, you can get lost in the prayer, but you have structure. Ah, brilliant. So please don't say, oh, it's too repetitious. And if you're not enjoying the rosary, if you try, just persevere. Praying is like um, athletes, right? Can you imagine if I said, oh, you know, I want to uh, run in the Olympic Games, uh, a long marathon, so I'm going out to train. And I get out there and I run a hundred yards and I don't enjoy this at all. Well, of course you don't. What do you mean? You've got to do a little bit every day and you've got to work up until eventually, and then they'll all tell you the runners, something kicks in, and all of a sudden you wow, this is I love this running, I love it. You know, it's a bit like that with prayer. If you don't enjoy praying, you know what the answer is? Pray until you do. There's not my words, there's actually Mary's words. Pray, 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 pray until your prayer becomes a joy for you. If it's not a joy, pray until it is. If you're praying, right? I said to my spiritual director one day, I have been praying the first joyful mystery and I'm thinking about the Annunciation. I've been doing it for 30 years and I'm getting a bit dry. She said to me, pray from the heart. When you say the words, pray from the heart. Oh my goodness. And like I just re put an injection into my nuclear reaction into my rosary. So I'll share it with you. Pray from the heart. Mean what you say. Hail Mary. Think of what we've been talking about with those women. Blessed are you among all women. Whoa. 
Think about that. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. The Son of God became man. So you can think about these things. You can meditate. But say, when, when you find it a bit hard to mentally think or you want to refresh, just say the words from your heart. Because the words are loaded. The words are rich. The words will deepen your prayer life. And then you'll start to love. This is, this is why we pray. We pray to love. You can't love if you don't pray. I'm going to talk more about that later. Um, but pray. Pray the rosary. God bless you. And um, let's give uh, thanks to the, to the Lord God. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Loving Jesus. Don't just, don't just know her. Fall in love with her. God bless. That was Paul Ellard with Mary, the surest way to imitate Christ. This talk was recorded at the Immaculata Mission School 2019 at the Glennie School in Toowoomba, Queensland. To hear more talks from Immaculata Mission Schools from years gone by and to hear other great Catholic talks, interviews and shows, head over to cradio.org.au.